Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. So we are opening up the book of Joshua, calling this uh, Tear Down That Wall. This is our Fearless series. We'll spend three weeks in this. Again, I hope you can take some time to read through it. I think it'll help you. Um, and I, I think, well, what you're going to discover in this book um, when we're dealing with fearless is your faith will be challenged. Um, and right from the start, there are you're going to see that there are steps that are prescribed by God, steps of obedience that require faith for the Israelites to possess the land. It begins with the Jordan, moves into Jericho, another battle of Ai, and on. And there are wars that are fought, battles that are fought. And many are won victoriously. Ai was, um, there was a misstep that we can look at later because they did not wholly follow the Lord in that battle as they were required, and there were consequences. And so you're going to discover that there are, there are steps that need to be taken. But they're in this that God, God gives a sense of, of confidence in, in a sense of sure footing in the steps that they're taking when they follow the Lord's way. It, it leads... It leads us, in a sense, into a position with the Lord where we know that you and I, we are firmly established. Because that's what he's trying to do with the Israelites. He's trying to get them to understand that there's a God in heaven that loves them and will lead them. And if they follow, they will be firmly established. And nothing will overthrow them as you follow Jesus Christ. Nothing will overthrow you in your life. Do you believe that? That's God's will for your life. Nothing will overthrow you, but whatever you face, you will overthrow it when you follow God's prescribed plan and purpose and steps that he gives you. You might be shaken, but your faith will not be shaken. That's the path of fearlessness. So there's a pathway of permanence that God calls us to walk. There's a pathway of permanence that he's calling Israel to walk led by Joshua, and the same pathway for you. There's a pathway of permanence. Now, in Joshua, the first is the, Joshua is the first of the 12 historical books, beginning with Joshua all the way through Esther. And it links, it's a, it's a, it forges a link between the Pentateuch and, and the remainder of Israel's history. The Pentateuch was part one under the leadership of Moses, who established the law and the covenant with Israel. Then you open up to Joshua, which is part two, who leads the people into the promised land or this place of rest, this land of rest. Now, Joshua was the Hebrew name for Jesus, means Savior. Joshua is a type of Christ. And Joshua is following the law that was given through Moses, as he leads the people into the promised land. Jesus is following the law when he comes on the scene and 
fulfills the law and brings grace through the cross and leads us into our promised land. You see a lot of correlations there. Now, when you read through Joshua, you're going to find yourself, again, being challenged to new seasons of faith, I believe, that will require you to take steps. God wants forward, more forward movement in your life. If your life does not have forward movement, it's time to stop and have a Jesus meeting, right? Find out where we're at. Because forward movement, faith, it affects your whole attitude, your whole outlook, your whole perspective on life. God wants you to have a healthy life as you're moving forward. A life of growth and fruitfulness. Jesus said, I want you to bear much fruit. So here we are, we're in the beginnings of Joshua, and you're going to see some steps. We'll see some steps that will follow through to Jericho as we tear down the walls. Let's look at the first couple verses in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Notice he begins talking to Joshua about the sole of their feet, where it's going to tread, the steps that they will be taken. Steps that will be prescribed by God that will lead them to a place of sure confidence, of sure-footedness, where their way will be established. Steps of advance. Now, if you were to break down these couple verses, this is basically what's being said as you interpret it. Every step of advance, God is saying, I will secure. That's, that's the essence of this translation. God is saying, when you take a step, I will make it a step that won't go backwards again. How many have had those seasons of life where you felt like you took a step forward and then you took two back? Uh, that's not God's will for your life. God says, when you follow my prescribed steps, when you follow my will by faith, when you obey me, there are steps that you're going to take that will never lead to going backwards again. But they will be firmly established. Your way will be set. That's what God is after for you and I. You will make progress that keeps making steadfast progress. We all want that in our life. There's, this is pretty amazing because the Lord says, I will do that for you. This is something God does. And it's taking steps that are steady gains in the course of life or the race that's set before you. Not going backwards, but going forward and securing the ground with each step. Boy, that's important. Nobody likes to go one step forward and two back. Verse 5, he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He says, no man will stand before you. In other words, there is opposing forces that would try to take their stance against Israel. And God says, no, the steps that I give you will overtake them. You will not be overtaken. It's the same call that God calls you and I to. Because as the adversary, the enemy, there's an unseen realm that tries to take a stand against us. But God says, those who are standing against you will not be able to overtake you, but you will overtake them. The stances that come against you when you follow God's way. He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. What he's saying there, and again, if you break a lot of this down, he's saying is in this essence, this sustaining, strengthening establishment of God's character is promised to you, to me, to all of us. Now, further in this book, which you, as you read through it, you're going <laughs> to get a little bit of a challenging point in here, and, because there's about seven chapters that you'll come across that describe 
uh, the, the boundaries of Israel, the land that was allotted to them. And this is about as boring reading as it can get. I'm just being honest with you. You kind of go through this and you're going, wow, why? <laughs> why am I reading this? Well, why did God put that in there, put that in Joshua? Well, he put those boundaries in there because he wanted the people to know that the, that the Almighty God who was making these boundaries of their inheritance was the God who never changes his word. These are the boundaries of their property holdings. These were the, what was allotted to them in the promised land. This is very important. You know what King David said? He said, Lord, you are my lot. In other words, he was saying, Lord, you are the one who sets the boundaries for my life just as surely as a piece of real estate is called a lot. That's what David was saying. And yet, that's the idea. God sets the boundaries of our lives, and you could call them boundaries of blessings. Every one of us have those. Every one of us, God calls us to possess that place where there's boundaries of blessings that God has allotted to you. And if you step across those boundaries of blessings, well, it could become a curse. It could become problematic for us because God has built boundaries against those things that would diminish our lives, that would become... Uh, a curse in a sense, or damage us. I guess you could see it in a sense when the law came through Moses and it was a, a boundaries or guardrails set up for the people of God so they could live within those boundaries and be blessed. But when they broke through those boundaries, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It's no different for you and I as we follow the word, as we follow God in our own lives. God sets, sets in our lives um, these boundaries. And when we step outside of them, we get into the weeds or what we would call a trap door. They fall through. It doesn't go well for us because we have breached the boundaries. We've moved beyond or outside God's protection, God's protective covering and boundaries. There's great boundaries of blessings within God. It's like a swimming pool. You stay in your lane. You can do the backstroke. You can do the front stroke. You can do the crawl. You can do all kinds of fun things. But if you get outside that, you start running into other people, it gets, it gets bad. And so God sets the boundaries of blessings for Israel. And God directs them as they laid the boundaries of the land, the places that they were directed to go. And I guess it was a major survey project, right, for the Israelites. Every tribe was given their boundaries and every family was given their lot. Now this was very exciting for them because remember, two generations before that, they were slaves. They had nothing. They had nothing but hard labor. They owned nothing. Now they have a future and a hope. Now they were given land, and each family was given their piece of the land, and now they could be fruitful. Fruitfulness was their future. Can you imagine how exciting that would be? When all your past generations, they had nothing, and now they're given land, and they get to, they get to put their roots down. They get to set the plow in the ground. They get to grow their food. They get to live life and experience this this land and this fruitfulness in a, in a very fruitful place. It's very exciting for them. So Joshua and the Israelites would now have to carefully follow God's instructions as they cross over the Jordan and take this land and the inheritance that God was going to give them. God was doing this. So God appoints the boundaries of their habitation. And he actually does the same for you and I today. You and I must follow Jesus and Adhere to his word. Follow the scriptures and the guidelines. You know, I've heard people say, well, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't want to live within those confinements. 
I'm, I feel boxed in. Hmm. It's really too bad. Because therein lies their true freedom. Because when you get outside of that, comes a lot of problems and life breaks down and things diminish lives and diminish people in so many ways. But when you live within the scriptures and the confines of God's principles, there are boundaries of blessings, actually, where everything is enlarged when you go at it his way. He calls you to possess. And you discover now in this book, you know, people have come out of Egypt and being led into the promised land. Uh, they, these people now, the Israelites are discovering they have been delivered for a purpose. Do you know that when you come to Christ, you were delivered for a purpose? That, that you, you have been taken out that you might be brought in. How many want to be taken out so you can be brought into something really good? That's what God is doing through the book of Joshua. Everyone who's given, who, who enters into this life of Jesus Christ gets an immediate inheritance. Your salvation, for one thing, in Christ, and your life begins in him, your journey begins, your adventure begins, and the, your purpose begins to unfold as you follow the steps that are prescribed for you, and you enter into this new place with God. And everything begins to expand in him, be enlarged. That's what he calls you to. You begin to grow, and the purpose of God becomes more defined and more clear. You see this in the book of Joshua, the promised land that they get to, be, to go into, but Jesus leads us into our own promised land. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, if you read through that first chapter, verses 3 and through 5, you're going to discover that through his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a new and living way, he says, to an inheritance that's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. That's our ultimate inheritance. But he says there's inheritance and there's blessings that he calls you to even now. if You follow Jesus. And so now we enter into these first steps that God is calling the Israelites to. Oh, it doesn't, it's not easy right from the start. He, he calls them to step into the Jordan and to cross it. We can see in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, go rise. Go over to this Jordan, you and all the people, and the land which I'm going to give you, the children of Israel, and then... I said this before, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I will give to you, as I said to Moses. So here he is, he's dealing with their steps that must be taken. Yes, they're physical steps, they're emotional steps, but they're spiritual steps as well. And without that forward movement, they can't get into the promised land. Across from the Jordan, he says, first you step into the water, and I'll open it later. This is the life principle that we all need to really pay attention to, that we see right off the bat. The principle is you need to obey by faith, and you see this all through Joshua, you obey by faith, following God's clear instructions, and you step into a miracle or an expectation. That's what you're stepping into. And the step, you step into, and then you stand there and you see the miracle. You stand there and not force it, but you wait on God. You don't force God, you don't manipulate God. My gosh, have we done that enough? Oh, God, you said this, but I'm just going to wrench it forward. You know, I got God's arm behind his back. Now I'm going to kind of tweak it a little more and kind of make this thing happen. No, that doesn't work that way. You simply obey Jesus and say, no, this is really clear in your word, these principles that I'm going to live by, and I will step out into these, God, and I, I, now I, at that point, I'm going to wait for you to do something because a lot of it's, Lord, obey and wait. Wait upon the Lord. Obey and wait and trust him. The waiting room is a place that we often spend time, right? Right? <laughs> 
And so we obey and we wait, and that's what they did. Now, that time of the year, the Jordan would be at its highest level. It was flood stage. And they walked out and they put their feet in the water. They get their feet wet, and then they watch. And when they did that, it says the water piled up some 14 miles north of where they were standing so that they could cross on dry ground. And there are times when you, when you and I have to move in and we have to take our stance on what you are expecting God to do or to open up and then let him open it up. You ever been in those places? Lord, you've called me to do this, so here I am. And Lord, my feet are cold. <laughs> the water's pretty deep. But you said stand, take my stand. You know, Ephesians says, when you've done everything to stand, stand therefore. When you've done everything to stand, he says, don't shrink back. You keep standing. You stand on the principles of what I've told you to do and wait and watch. And God will do something. It's that place of expectation he wants us to live. And that's where he calls your first steps to go. Forward movement. And he opens it up. Chapter 2, we've got to keep moving because there's many principles I'm going to draw out through this leading up to Jericho. He sends two spies in to spy out the land, especially Jericho. Why Jericho? Because it was central. It was a key uh, city to take uh, the land. You had to, they had to take this fortress so they can go to the north and the south and take the land in each direction. So it's a really important stronghold that they had to conquer. Now, Jericho was a massive city, had two walls. You can do your own study on this, but the outer wall, there was an inner wall, and the outer wall was 12 feet thick. That's pretty thick, isn't it? The inner wall was 6 feet thick. That's huge. Not only that, they were 30 feet high. Yeah, these are walled, massive fortresses. And thousands of people lived within this city. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went... And they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now, where they lodged, Rahab's house, <laughs> interesting because her house was on the wall of Jericho, which means she was doing some pretty good business as a harlot. And you're thinking, well, prostitution, that's pretty bad. How'd she get in this whole picture thing? Well, let me just tell you what a prostitute does. You're like, I know what a prostitute does. Well, really, this is what a prostitute does. It trades that which is precious for that which is a temporal pleasure. Okay? Now, that's bad, obviously, trading that which is precious for a temporal pleasure. But before we met Christ, didn't we all do that to some degree? Really? I mean, we weren't prostitutes, possibly, but most of us, I'm sure. But... Really, we traded something that was precious for some temporal pleasure. That's, that was what we're, the way life was before we met Jesus. We traded that which was eternal for that which is now. Right? I mean, we lived apart from Christ while we lived for this world and what it offered us. And yes, that was a trade-off. You know, I know we like to categorize things. This is really bad. And this is, but before you met Christ, look, it's all in the same category in a sense. And what's the, what, what, we, what we're doing with our lives. Well, in any sense, they lodged there at her house. Apparently, it was a safe place to spend the night. Now, somehow, the king of Jericho knew that these men came to spy out Jericho. And uh, they've been watching the Israelites, believe me. They had their eyes on them. 
And uh, they knew they were hiding at Rahab's house place, so they sent men to capture him. And Rahab hides them. Uh, Rahab uh, is not only a harlot now, now she lies to protect. Now it's going from bad to worse. Now I'm at a prostitute house, but they're at a lying prostitute's house, right? And some people struggle with this. She convinces the king's men that they had already left and saves them. And this is, this is the same Rahab that was in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish because she welcomed the spies. James talks about her, says, uh, says that Rahab, the prostitute, considered, was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So she ends up uh, ultimately in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She did all of this because of her faith. She obeyed. And some would say, but she lied. Well, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but during the Holocaust, there were many people who helped Jews survive and escape. How did they do it? They did it through deception, through lying, through hiding them, through falsifying records, paperwork. And because they did that, many precious lives were saved from a dark, evil, murderous, demonic regime. So Rahab, in the only way she knows, wants, wants what they have when it comes to the God they serve. It's interesting because in verses chapter 2, or chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them in the roof, and she said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on all of us. And all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. You hear what she's saying? All these demonic regimes, these uh, empires, these wicked uh, Canaanites, their courage has drained out from them in the face of what's approaching. And she's a Canaanite. She's saying all this. She says, we're freaked out over here. We are undone. Because your God, this God of heaven and God of Israel, is overtaking everything in its path, and we know you're going to overtake us. She goes on to say this in verse 10 through 11. For we have heard that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That was 40 years ago. They're still, they're still going, ah! You know, dried up the sea, defeated the most powerful man and army in the world, Pharaoh. And when you came out of Egypt, it says, when you, and then when you did that, you, you, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God of heaven above all the earth beneath. These people knew about all this stuff that Israel's been doing. They've been watching. They've been watching the news. It was the headlines in the promised land. Yet these evil empires continued to remain unrepentant. They still worshipped demon gods. They still passed their babies across the altars of Moloch and slaughtered them. They refused to repent. They refused to come under. They they were so full of darkness that even though they saw what was going on, they were stubborn, said, we're pretty freaked out, but we're not going to follow their God. So Rahab, a pagan, she gets it. One person over there 
who gets it. And, and she's, she's going to do whatever she can do to come underneath the authority of what she would now consider the one true God and those who follow him. And because she cooperated, helps the spies, she protects them, they decide to protect her and her whole family who would ever be under her roof. Now, everybody knows the trouble's coming. There's thousands in the city. They're aware of this, that the army's approaching, and they were shaking. And Rahab, uh, they tell Rahab, look, don't tell anybody our plans. This is what we're going to do. Uh, you helped us escape. Um, she does. She gives them instructions. She says, because of that, take, this, take a scarlet cord, tie it around your window, and uh, all you and all who are under your roof will be spared when we overtake this city. And immediately, by faith, what does she do? She follows the prescribed steps that are given her, just like the Israelites are doing as they follow God. They're prescribed steps of obedience by faith that must be applied, and they pledge her safety. And so she does this, and of course, the scarlet cord is very significant because it points to the blood of Jesus, because we know that the only, it's only by the blood of Jesus that you and I are saved, where death and destruction pass over us, where judgment is eliminated from our life. So by faith, her future is secured. Her stance, as I said from the very beginning, in God becomes secure. She's now on certain sure footing. Her ground is secured. And later they conquer the city, and she is saved, and her family. And not only that, this is the future of Rahab. As she continues on, she marries a prince of Judah, Solomon. Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N. They have a son named Boaz, the kingsman redeemer, who ends up marrying Ruth, the, Mid the Moabite. And then from there, there's this union, comes this union with Obed, and then Jesse, and then King David, all the way down to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story of redemption of her and her family. A whole generations were changed because of her decision to follow the one true God and to take steps of obedience. It's incredible that when, when moms and dads come out of uh, a life from generation to generation of lives and families that never served the Lord and decide to give their allegiance to Jesus Christ, how from generation to generation following them, everything changes. It's powerful. It's powerful. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Only the power of Jesus. Amen? It's powerful. We recognize this and we see this and it's recorded. And scripture for our encouragement. Now, these spies returned and they didn't come back with any military secrets, really. I mean, uh, why? what was God's plan for sending these guys over there? Uh, they, came, they, they, they came back and um, they, they, they discovered, they heard that, yeah, everybody's freaked out, everybody's terrified of us. Well, that's not real... That's not some military strategic secret. So they, they really didn't gather any of these amazing military secrets. They come back, and uh, they're basically, well, they're kind of afraid over there. And, uh, and why did, what was God's plan? Maybe, it was, maybe God's plan was because he saw one person, Rahab, who, who, whose heart was tender and wanted to repent and wanted to serve the one true God. And God saw that out of this massive Canaanite, uh, from Canaanite to Canaanite to all the Unites. And she was the one. She was the one. Because of that, you see 
you see things change. You see a whole generation spared. Pretty incredible. Nobody's excluded who come to Christ. Well, then we move into chapter 6, and this is really a powerful moment in time because this event is when the walls of Jericho are finally going to come down and they take the city this, in this conquest. Now, if you're, you're standing there and you're facing Jericho, uh, this, is, this is a massive wall fortress, as I said, 12-foot wall, 6-foot wall, 30 feet high, and uh, they're probably standing there scratching their heads, how are we going to do this? I mean, we've been in the wilderness for 40 years. We don't have ladders. We don't have grappling hooks. We don't have any way to scale these walls. This is a fortress, a stronghold. We've got to take this, but this seems impossible. And so Joshua, the general, he is walking around. He's seeking God on this, as he did, as he was supposed to do before every battle and every step he was to take. He was waiting for God's prescribed orders. And so he's looking at this walled city, and he's praying, and he's a pretty brilliant general. He has an encounter with God. He has an encounter with Jesus incarnate. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. It's very powerful. We'll read it. It says, It came to pass that when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite with him, a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, you know, Joshua's pretty bold, pretty courageous. Remember from the very beginning of first chapter 1, it says uh, he was exhorted to be strong and courageous. And here he is. He approaches this guy and he says, uh, are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he says, no. <laughs> How would you like that response? <laughs> I'm not for any of you guys. <laughs> but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, we all have to come to this point and realize there are a lot of forces out there. We need to be on the Lord's side. And we need to be in tune with what the Lord is saying in every situation we're entering into. Because God has a strategy for everything. And if you try to reduce God down to a formula, like he's going to do it like this every single time, and you don't consult the Lord, you're going to get into trouble. Because he's, he wants you to come to him. As everything in life is based on relationship with him. And he calls us to hear what his pres prescription is. And believe me, it's always going to be different. You know, somebody offends you, it's going to be, I'm going to get him back. And the Lord says, no, this is what I want you to do. Forgive and walk in love. And he'll give us his, the, the steps to secure our way in the days ahead. And so here he is. He approaches uh, this man, this image, with a sword drawn. And he asks him, whose side are you on? And he says, I'm on any side. You need to be on my side, basically. Joshua immediately understands this and sees this. And says that he fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant. Now, the reason why we know this is Jesus incarnate, that wasn't an angel, because in the Bible, you're forbidden to worship angels. And yet he was allowed to worship. And so you have Jesus incarnate. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot, for the place you're standing is holy. And so Joshua did so. Notice he is addressing his feet once again. There's something to do with our steps that we need to be take. And boy, the orders that he gives us Oh, our, our steps of a good man, the righteous man, are ordered of the Lord. Our steps need to be sanctified. God, what are your steps that you're calling me to in this season of life or whatever challenge I'm facing in life? Lord, what are you saying to me? Because I need to be on your side. I need to take your marching orders, Lord, and, and into my life and consider those. And not what the majority says or what this person says or this, this opinion over here is. Lord, what are you saying in this hour in my life? There are steps that need to be sanctified by God before you take them. 
and it takes time to do that. And so the Lord gives God's, the Lord gives Joshua specific instructions on how to take the city. Verse 1 through 5. Let's read these, chapter 6. Now Joshua, or Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around that city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. In other words, every day for six days they'll march one time around, and they're going to blow this horn when they do it. Because they're marching around the city. Can you imagine the psychological, spiritual warfare that's going on? The people inside the city hearing this. And they know they're out there marching around. Day four. They're out there again marching. People in the city are just terrified. They're going, what? What are they up to out there? What are they doing? Why do they keep marching? I mean, can you imagine what's going on? Psychological. God's strategies are amazing. And then on the seventh day, they marched seven times around, and then they blasted the trumpets. So here it is. The seventh day, it says, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make this long blast, with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will, flat, will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Because I've given you this city into your hands. Isn't it interesting how God talks like it's already done? He's telling Joshua, I've given you the city. Do you know that there are things that God has already accomplished and already considered done in our lives. He's waiting for us to take the prescribed steps to see the fulfillment of that. I am firm. I believe that. Do you know that the cross, through Jesus' cross, salvation has been released over the world? And yet there are those who reject it. It's already been done. Our salvation has been paid for 2,000 years ago, but there are those still rejecting it. And God says, it's already been done for you if you will just... If you'll just walk it out and obey me and follow me and choose me. There are many things I believe in our lives that God says, I've, I've already completed those things. They are done as far as I'm concerned, but I'm waiting for you to take your stance and to take the step into the water and obey me and then watch. Watch as you step into that expectation that's already been done. And so here it is that he's just waiting. He's just waiting. He says, when you take these steps, you begin to march. What's already been done, you'll see it fulfilled. They're going to march a lot. They're going to blow the horns. They're going to shout. In other words, do not wilt before the wall. Worship around the wall. Because many walls you're going to be facing in life. And it's going to require faith to arise. And fear to be dealt with. And doubt to be banished from your life. I think one of the greatest ways, I know this for a fact, that if you're facing walls, you're facing those obstacles and things that have taken a stance against you, praise, and there's something of the spirit of praise that we must require ourselves to enter into. Sometimes you just need to stand in a room all by yourself and shout before the Lord. Shout before that wall. Let faith arise. There's something uh, where our pride barriers uh, that keeps us from doing that, our sense of, well, I need to be dignified, needs to come down that wall in itself where we begin to express our great, the greatness of God in our own lives and see something happen. Feel the faith surge in your life. See fear and doubt banished when you come into that place. 
I think some of us, there's probably uh, a place where we need to grow in that, where we've been quite reserved, maybe, and God says, it's time to break off the reservations of your life and begin to become a people of praise. If you're driving down the car and the road all by yourself, maybe it's time to begin to express yourself like you never have before. Begin to lift your voice, lift your hands, lift your heart before the Lord. However you can do that, something you've never done before, and watch what God does. Take you to a new place in Him. But He's calling these people to do something very demonstrative. Not just marching, seems kind of silly, but to shout. And to blow the trumpets and to fill the air with God praise so that the walls will come down. This is a powerful principle. It's a life principle. And the Bible talks a lot about it. And if we're not living and walking in that place, it's time to break through the wall and go to that place. So don't wilt before the wall. Circle the wall with praise. Amen? Circle the wall with praise. As this is a powerful picture of the walls that we face in life, a lot of obstacles we face. Don't wilt before it. And I believe the victory began when Joshua bowed his knee before the, 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 the angel of the, well, the Lord of hosts. That was where victory began. He bowed his knee and began to worship in that place. And as soon as he began to do that, strategies were released, and God said, talked to him as though it was already done. That's where victory begins. There's a powerful principle of worship and praise. We probably don't talk enough about it. But the battle plans involved trumpets and shouts and high praises. It says the walls came down flat. Matter of fact, the Hebrew conveys a sense that the walls were not being pushed down, but there was a crushing weight that pressed them from above. Now, I don't know if it was a targeted earthquake or what it was, or if God just did it somehow, but the walls came down, and they came down flat. Pretty powerful. And the rubble's still there to this day. They've excavated it. But that's the message of the conquest of Jericho. When you're faced with a blockage, with a wall, anything that would challenge you in any relationship or what God has called you to become or what he's called you to accomplish in Christ, don't wilt, don't cower before it. This is called to be a fearless generation where we will praise and shout before the walls. Circle them with praise. There's something about this fallen world that loves walls. We're surrounded by walls, every wall. There's walls of fear, there's walls of guilt, walls of anger, walls of violence, walls of bondage. There's walls of suspicion, walls of unforgiveness, walls of self-pity, walls of pride. There's all kinds of walls, walls of depression, walls of unbelief, walls that keep others out, walls that keep us isolated and withdrawn from others, walls that protect us from hurt, hurt. Walls that hurt others, walls that, you know, of rejection, walls of fear of rejection. I'm going to wall myself in so you can't reject me because I'm done being rejected. Walls that prevent others from seeing our sin, fear of being misunderstood, walls of fears of inferiority. I could go on and on, but they're everywhere and we face them. And if we're going to take new land, there will be walls and those walls, lots of walls need to come down. And Jer- Jericho is a symbol of what sin has done in our world. Sin that has turned this world into a world full of walls. And the greatest wall of sin was erected, that was ever erected, was the wall between us and God. Our relationship with God was bricked off, it was blocked off, 
And there was nothing we could ever do about that. There's not one brick that could be removed by our own strength or ability or power or works. But when Jesus came to give his life and substituted his life for ours, he tore down the wall. The Bible says he tore down the wall of hostility between us and God, making a way forever, a peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. says, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the wall of separation. All the worship team come out. Jesus destroyed the barrier between us and God and brought down the walls of Jericho as well. And it's God who does this. It's God who will always be the one who takes the walls down. When we take and we obey his prescribed steps, there are steps of obedience and faith and worship. You know, there's a brick, the, the, the foundation of walls in this world are the brick and mortar of the lies of the enemy, the lies that twist and distort who God is, who we are, that distort our perception about everything. Satan is the father of lies, and his kingdom is built on the brick and mortar of lies. And you see this in Jericho, this brick and mortar, this, this wall that kept the people out. Let me tell you something. Uh, Jesus said, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In fact, the, gate, the church is called to kick in the walls, to kick down the gates. Gates were always a symbol of the enemy of keeping stuff out. But Jesus said, my church is advancing, and nothing will keep it out of where I want it to go. And you can kick them in by the authority of Christ. But we must approach those walls God's way so that they come down. The way that Rahab did, she did it God's way. She took the prescribed steps. It began when the Jordan where they took the prescribed steps into the river and Joshua removed his shoes and said, I have more steps for you to take, but you must do it my way. You must be on my side. And he submitted to what God has called him to, bringing himself into alignment. Later, you'll see the, the uh, assault on the city of Ai and they didn't fully follow God's steps of obedience and it was a disaster. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. But you'll see why this is so important. There are critical elements in our walk with God that are just non-negotiable when it comes to obedience and faith and worship. And we must live by and follow. As I began this message, because there, there is sure footing, a solid stance that God wants to bring us to, a confidence knowing that our position in the Lord is going to be firmly established and we will not be overthrown. But we will overthrow that which has taken its stand against us. And we'll press through when we hear from God. It's a pathway of permanence that God calls you to. Amen? There's a permanent pathway, a place of confidence, where you know I'm taking my stand in God. And I will wait for the next move. Because there's an expect, expectation, there's a promise I know that he's called me to, and I will stand in that. And I will wait to see what God does. Let's stand together. I wonder what God is saying to some of us here today when it comes to steps of obedience. And, and he's speaking to you about some specific things even now that you know you need to take. Because, because you feel like you've been taking one step forward and three back, two back. God says, no, that's not what I'm calling you to. I'm call, calling you to take a step, and I will secure that ground, and then I want you to take, take more steps, and it will be a constant, steady gain in your life. Steady gains forward without going back. 
We're hearing from the Lord. And are we willing to obey by faith and trust Him as we step into those expectations? Let's worship the Lord for a moment. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.